and this is why nine days for some people works because you do a rolling three day. And then that's easy to figure out a rolling three day cycle. So you're doing three days, three days, three days. It's nine. You know, it's easy. Then your next one would be 12. You do a rolling three day cycle four times. And, and, and a three day cycles tend to be your easiest cycles to figure out. So rather than trying to figure out what to do seven, you just do three and then you just repeat the three. Yeah. So, in a, in a, you know, it makes it kind of easy. So you got acceleration, weight training, speed, and then acceleration, weight training, you know, or recovery. It, you, you just, now you can fit in your recovery days to recover from the three days. That was Randy Huntington. And you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Lost Empire Herbs. You can get 15% off my favorite herbs for well-being and athletic performance by heading to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. About three years ago, I got into herbalism after having Logan Christopher on the podcast, starting with the Phoenix formula, which literally had my body buzzing after I took it. Not in a jittery way, like coffee, but in a way where I really felt the herbs working with my body. Within two weeks, I was already noticeably stronger in the weight room. And ever since, I've made herbalism a regular part of my training regimen. I've totally ditched any sort of caffeine-laden pre-workout, and I really enjoy using supplements that come directly from the earth. Lost Empire Herbs was started by Logan Christopher and his two brothers to help bring back the lost empire of nature in our connection to it, and to bring the power of herbs to the general public. Again, if you want to see my favorite herbs, such as Shilijit, which has been mentioned by other podcast guests on this show, Phoenix Formula, and more, as well as get 15% off your purchase alongside a 365-day money-back guarantee, head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. Welcome to another show. It's great to have you here with us. Three weeks ago, we had on the show Randy Huntington. It had been four years since I interviewed Randy, and recently Randy has had tremendous success working for China or coaching their national team, and particularly with the success of sprinter Su Bing Shan, amongst many other athletes who have done very well. But Su Bing Shan in particular set the Asian record in the 100-meter dash. En route to that 100, ran a 4.07-second equivalent 40-yard dash and also broke the split-time world record of the 60 meters. So last show, Randy spent some good time talking about the ins and outs of building the world's greatest accelerator, talked a lot about sled training, resisted training, special strength, and a whole lot more. And we didn't get to nearly all the questions, and so Randy was very generous as to come back and lend a lot of his time to these shows and these talks. And so we'll cover the questions this show that we did not get to last time. On today's episode, we're going to get into Subing Chan's weekly training setup, and then Randy will also get into a lot of ideas on how he creates training setups in general for improving speed. He'll talk about the priority of rest and how he uses rest to decide how he will space out the weekly work. Randy will also speak on the topic of training density and how he modulates this with training cycles of various lengths. I think that it's probably the easiest for sure and also the most common just to stick with the uh, seven-day weekly cycle and just come up with all things you can do within one training week of seven days. Randy goes outside of this box, which it's always like this mind trip. It's like, whoa, you can do something else than seven-day cycles. And so he'll talk about nine-day cycles and 10-day cycles and five-day cycles and how he'll utilize those with track and field athletes. 
Randy will get into detail on how he uses water training to help athletes recover, and as well as just a general training method. He'll talk about tempo sprint training, his version or the way that he sees overspeed work for speed training, and a whole lot more. This is the companion and an awesome complement to what you could call part one of Randy's talks on Subing Chan's training and then his training with his athletes in general. And this is just great material for coaches in any discipline, no matter what athletes you're working with, where you're at. This is awesome knowledge from a coach who's been in the game for over 45 years, has trained Olympians, world record holders, has worked with elite athletes, and then also youth athletes, and is just such a wealth of knowledge. So without further ado, let's get on to the unofficial part two of my recent talks with Coach Randy Huntington. Randy, it's fantastic to have you back on the show. Uh, We got through, I I wrote like probably eight questions for you. I think we got through two of them in an hour and a half, which was the best show. So anyways, it's great to have you back. I'm really excited to get to it here. <laughs> great, great. It's good. And I'm glad that we got through two. Maybe we get through two more now or or we get through for more. I don't, if I'm not, so, if I just stop being so verbose, you just tell me when to shut up and it will be uh, <laughs> probably better for you. Well, yeah. And you're, you know, however many, you know, you've been coaching for over 40 years now or 45, or I, I know it says on your bio, I forgot exactly, but I, it, it's like it, with that length of time in coaching, any question can be a whole show versus so, you know, yeah, someone with a you're, you're right. It can, it can get that way. You're, you're absolutely correct. So let's, uh, this, I, I actually, before the show, I was like, oh yeah, we could get to this question, this question. I have this feeling like this question I'm going to ask you could be like a whole show. So maybe we can, you know, if we can, we'll, we'll see where we go with it. But I, I've heard, uh, I think it might've been Martin Bingister's podcast uh, that you were talking about like um, Sue's, uh, Sue Bingchan's training rhythm. And clearly we talked a lot about Sue's, the training methods you employ with Sue as well as your other athletes in the last show. Uh, and definitely every training rhythm is certainly unique but what are some things uh, in particular about his weekly training setup that are unique to him and that you think were helpful in helping him to achieve what he did? Well, as you've heard me say a little earlier when we were chatting, that my whole view of training, setting up training sessions, is work plus rest equals adaptation. And, and that equation is not mine. That came out of Bampa years and years and years ago and, and, and Matt Vieff before him. So... In Sue's case, because he's older, and we have an, another issue in China, we're not allowed to supplement anything. I give them they have magnesium, and that's the only supplement they're allowed to take. Every once in a while, they might get a protein supplement, but it's very rare. They, they, at the upper levels of the Chinese sports group, they control their diet, everything. Uh, I mean, there's no supplementation up there, so. The beauty of China right now is you, at the elite level, you don't really have to worry about drugs, which is something everybody thinks is going on, and it just ain't happening, guys. Sorry. Um, it just is not happening there. These kids are scared to death. So in Sue's case, in order to get the density of training up to where it needs to be to make the changes in his body and, and get it to where I need it to be to run this 100 meters, uh, I had to go to a, a little bit different resting uh, cycle. So I, I look, I, I look at work, but then I put the rest in first in the week, and then I follow it back up with what work we're going to do prior to the rest, so that the rests have and and they they're purposeful. You know, we we need to be recovered before we go on to, or at least some semblance of recovery before we go on to the next session. So in Sue's case, I do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday uh, session. Monday, Friday are acceleration days. 
tactical. He lifts on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday afternoons. He will lift three times a week. Power on a Tuesday, max strength on Saturday, and then upper body uh, with a usually one one Olympic lift or one Kaiser power style lift uh, on Thursday, and then you know it, it. And then on Wednesdays is usually close to a full day. I mean, Wednesday is a speed endurance day, a short speed endurance day, ASSC or GSSE. Uh, later on, that changes to a speed a pure speed day. And then Saturdays is always reserved for a longer speed endurance session or, you know, early in the year to be an aerobic and speed endurance session or an aerobic session in which we're, we're maybe doing six to eight times 200 or two times three or two times four times 200. This varies with 30 seconds rest or pulse recovery right now. Right now we're doing, we started, we do 130 pulse. The next week we could do 135, 140, 145 recovery. And then we bring it back down again. So I like using pulse. It gives me, uh, it individualizes it for the guys. I'd rather use SMO2. So I'd rather use a Moxie or I still have several humans. Unfortunately, they went out of business, which is too bad. I really like using the human and looking at muscle oxygen itself, not circulating levels of oxygen, but muscle oxygen. And then that gives me a very accurate appraisal of when to get them to go again. So I know that their oxygen levels are back up. Yeah, that's really interesting. Does their it's funny because I, you know, in my mind, had always thought, oh yeah, just uh, you know, two or three minutes. <laughs> it's kind of for tempo, uh, and I'm sure it's in some cases maybe that fits a large bell curve of pe- individuals to some degree. But uh, as for sure, you mentioned, oh, absolutely. You yeah. mentioned the moxie though, and and someone who I've had a few individuals discussing the moxie and how athletes who are like strong compressors, as I imagine someone like Sue or these mm-hmm. an elite hundred sprinter has the potential to be a very strong compressor that athlete might need a little bit longer before they go again versus your like, I guess, lie the elastic, like, I mean, I mean, as long as, you know, if you can see exactly when their muscle oxygen has recovered game one, let's go. If it's an aerobic, you know, if you're looking at aerobic intervals and, and, and in Sue's case, you're right. It takes them a little longer to and the really, really fast guys typically don't have that, that type of uh, physiology. And I have, you know, with Wong Chun Yu, the 800 meter runner, you know, she'll come out and she's ready to go in 25 seconds, you know, and the guys are like, what the heck, you know, and she's running with them and they're, they're not used to seeing a female run repeat 200s in 30 seconds with them or 32 mm-hmm. or whatever. And those come down eventually. We'll get down, we'll get down into the sub 24, sub 23 level on those later on in the year before I get rid of them completely. Yeah, so, I'm glad you brought up tempo. Actually, that was a buried question that I'm I'm happy oh. to. I'm glad you covered it a little bit. And I, you know, if you would, could put yourself on like, um, I guess it's different for every athlete, of course. But like, maybe I'll start by saying this is for it. Pretty much in the majority of sprint situations, I've seen it where like there's a tempo only one time a week, and the other days might be circuit days or some other way of developing uh, general fitness. Uh, mm-hmm. What's your approach in deciding how much and how often to apply tempo type sprinting with athletes? I do tempo twice a week. So we actually do tempo on the uh, lifting days. Okay. So we're doing tempo or full rest, but our tempo is oftentimes in the pool. Oh, got it. Okay. So we're, we go in the pool, deep water and we'll do, you know, we'll, we'll do sprints in the pool or tempo sprints in the pool rather than running them more. I'm going to not beat them up as much. And this is an age-based thing. 
that, and that way I also am enhancing the recovery because of the, the different, the different pressure between feet and, and uh, neck. And so you're pumping all the waste products out of their body. You're they're They're suspended. So you're, you're suspending the skeletal system. So you're opening up the joints and you're getting, you're allowing them to rehydrate in a sense. It sounds kind of stupid to say, but the, in, in the short run, that's what they really are doing. So we do that or we'll run easy tempo, 60s to 150s, real easy, you know, mm-hmm. and I make, I make our strength coaches run them with them. So they're <laughs> really, really easy, <laughs> you know, and, and that's always fun for them. The guys have kind of have a, a good chuckle over that one. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to get people to run slow. It's this, it's harder. That's the hardest thing to do, you know? <laughs> so tempo, they, uh, most people do tempo and they end up doing it way too fast. I like that. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with that. I think it's very easy to uh, athletes competitive natures just to take over and then messing with the recovery of the session or whatnot. And I'm sure if you're monitoring with the heart rate and the moxie, that makes it a lot easier for them not to. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, and if you get a strength coach who can't run 14 seconds for a hundred, you know, then, you know, they're not going to run very fast because they've got to lead it. <laughs> so, um, and my strength coaches are all young guys who don't know much yet. So they, they, they like to get in and mix it up with these elite athletes. They usually can't last the whole time anyways. So. Yeah. You're, you're, I love, I, I love that though. I always, that was one thing I really enjoyed is that in my experience working as a full-time strength coach is that whatever strength coaches would go do sprint workouts with me, that was always awesome. Like getting out of the gym and going outside the track and doing, mm-hmm. or even um, one of them who was a basketball strength coach actually did some hurdling workouts with me and he hadn't hurdled and I'm like, this is, this is awesome. But it reminds me of um, like, there was like squat October and dead December and all these things. And someone right. finally made a sprint, a sprint timber. And, and so I was like, yes. <laughs> and so that's your, at least some, some people have to do that. I, I think that should be a requirement for strength coaches to get out. You got to have it athletes. fun. Yeah. And I mean, strength coaches usually are strength based and they aren't normally running based in the beginning in the NFL, almost all the strength coaches that started out were all track and field guys. Really? Yeah. Almost every one of them was a track and field guy, mostly throwers, you know, but the some weren't, but back to the other part. So that rhythm, you know, we'll, we'll do, we don't do a lot of circuits on the Thursday afternoon. If I feel like they're a little beat up, I may give them come out. We do, by the way, we do hurdle mobility and in, in our warm up, anyways, every day. So that doesn't count, but we'll come out and I have a separate warm up in which they can pick any three longer circuits and do the circuits very slow. I usually don't even want to be there because I don't want to mess with them. I don't want, I don't want anything for that. I don't want them thinking about training. I just want them to go through the movements, talk, have fun, be stupid, you know, whatever they want, but, but, but get their bodies going through a more mobility style, getting the mobility back in the joints, given that they just come off of some good heavy lifting that morning. Uh, the upper body, so they did their their speed endurance the day before, then their then their upper body, and they're they're just their bodies kind of like not ready to go again, and so I utilize the uh, the circuits on that Thursday afternoon. Cool. You mentioned you did, and I found this interesting because so often it's like people will match just match the neurologically intense stuff up. So we're sprinting and we're lifting. We're we're, we're short sprinting and we're li- we're lifting heavy and and that mm-hmm. you know, and. I found, I remember back when I was coaching in my mid twenties, I, one of the training cycles, I kind of 
piece together was basically uh, that was very common in sprinters and jumpers was coming on Monday tempo and lift. And then Tuesday, it was your explosive, you know, you're sprinting, you're jumping. Right. And I thought right. that worked really well. Like, and it does. And a lot of guys still do that. Absolutely. Well, by the way, our, our, our Monday session is in the afternoon, but our Monday morning session is an activation potentiation session. So I didn't say that, but uh, we don't do our starts until the afternoon. So gotcha. we don't come in. Yeah. And then the next morning we do, I give them a chance to rest. Next morning we come in and hit the weight room. Got it. What does the activation session look like? I mean, are there weights in that? So I'm, I'm trying to kind of piece together the, the week in my head. But An activation session there is different drills, different um, rudimentary jumping drills, kind of little things that just get their bodies to wake up from the weekend or even just from set, from Sunday, for, if nothing else. I, in China, and this is specific to China now, you can't give them a lot of time off. They don't. They just fall apart very quickly if they have any time off and none of us have ever figured out why but we've all experienced it you know hmm. you're figuring normally a kid gets kind of beat up and he's been training hard you say yeah take two days off it's okay you cannot do that with a chinese athlete hmm. because they'll come back and you lose the whole next week they're yeah. done they're just it's not emotional it's physical they just cannot train after that two days off and they're finished now as they've progressed more through the style of training that we do in the West, it doesn't happen as often, but it still happens. Hmm. That's really interesting. I mean, do, do you feel like that's, um, are there any other, I guess, groups of athletes you've worked with that you feel like are, I mean, is, is that pretty much totally unique? Like the, uh, that? No, Koreans were like that too, because for the most part, the Chinese and Koreans did not, did not do uh, intensity training. Hmm. Their training, their training was very moderate. And um, mostly, uh, actually, it was a lot of tempo style work. You know, interesting. So, do, do you think uh, I kind of going off of the off a little bit? But I do find that's all right. We've gone off the cliff a few times. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> do you think that's like? I guess like maybe. I mean, I've never been to China or Korea, but it strikes me that like you know, very like hardworking in general, like as a culture, like as a general, they are. Yeah, and they like to work which means that volume is their master. Yeah. It's just, I kind of think about like almost these unconscious things, like whatever area of the world we're in, there's almost this like, I don't know, you call it zeitgeist, like this kind of vibe that Mm -hmm. it makes even like, I don't know, it almost would seem like if you tried to go against that just general vibe of this culture and training, even if it might make more sense on a few levels, maybe that's not going to be in there. I mean, obviously they at least need to you, you have to train specifically at some point, right? But I just, yeah, can't help but maybe think about how the link between culture and general thoughts and... Of- oh, no, it's, it's, a, it's a real one. I mean, people think that, you know, you go to another country and you just bring what you're doing there and, you know, it's been successful and voila, you're done. You know, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> you know, any, anybody who's trained people from another country knows that there's a lot you have to overcome. And in China, the biggest one was that they were married to a high volume training system same thing in korea was the same way i can't speak for japan but i think they were similar yeah i know it's were, swimming, i think they were are. similar yeah we're and, and they've changed the quickest you know so it's it's nothing for them to go out and do let's say their training session train their speed training session was 10 times 120 hmm. wow and we're all kind of going huh you know <laughs> what um 
that's not speed, guys. <laughs> you know, so so our first several years there, my first several years was just trying to define things for them, defining. I mean, they're jump sessions. You know, they'd they'd jump for hours, but they'd never do any approach work. Hmm. They, they 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 had one sprint session a week. It was six times sixty meters. That was it. And, and so these things are parts of the cultural change that have taken place in China, which has allowed, you know, with Reina, with Xia, um, and I'm glad to see Xia back with Reina now. This is going to be really good for him because he's a talented kid and a really good kid. And he missed not being able to train with Reina for the last two, year and a half. Um, you know, that system changed. Um, the uh, My system, of course, was more high intensity. And, th- and then you have to have recovery. I mean, you know, you can't – so much of things that happened in the 80s and 90s, and we were fighting this for those of us that didn't want to go to the dark side of drugs. Mm. We had to figure out a way to do all of this without doing that. And that magic word density of training becomes the magic word. How do you increase density without ever going to the dark side? And then it's when you start looking at, obviously, nutritional ability to – to help increase density or recovery because density is all about recovery. Um, water. That's how I, I, I arrived at water. I just want to say, how can I get these guys to work as hard as I know they need to, to compete with the guys over there that are doing this stuff. Um, and so my whole um, philosophical approach has always been recovery based first because I'm never going to go to the other side. It just isn't going to happen. I quit before I'd ever do that. And um, that's where the water was so beneficial to us. And so Sue's in the water every day, hmm. getting back to that. So he's in the water after every training session in the afternoon. If the pool is accessible, we'd go in the water after every session. Um, we don't have saunas there. I probably would use sauna in the evening if I had had one, but I don't. So... Um, and, and yet I may buy one when I go back my, for myself, you know, Yeah. but I think saunas are, are incredible, uh, and do quite a lot of good stuff for the body in recover- terms of recovery. Yeah. I, I, that's been on my list is actually to get a sauna here at the house. I, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I went to, um, it was uh, Rafe Kelly's return of the source, uh, retreat week long, just in the woods in Washington state near camp up near Canada almost. And uh-huh. we would do parkour stuff like all day. And I remember one of the, the days I was the most sore was we, the, the, the night that I spent probably the most time in the sauna and whoever was in it, it was one of those traditional Finnish saunas where someone was spraying the rocks with water. I mean, it was awesome. But so the, the guy who was in charge of getting, was getting it so hot like I, I could barely even breathe and I but I oh, yeah and, but I felt it is. so good that like that was by far the, the furthest I took myself in the sauna of all the, but the next day I felt so good like I, as if I almost didn't even train the day before and from a soreness perspective it was amazing and so were you doing the cold plunge as well uh there there was a um yeah there was a little like pond that was right a uh, few feet away from the the sauna yeah. so I just and it wasn't like super cold but it was cold enough that it was good like it was it was pretty I mean probably like 65 degrees 70 so it was oh, still- I, I I took my NFL guys up because I it was in Bellingham and uh my friend has a beautiful sauna that he built and and then he had a horse trough a circular horse trough next to it and we had to break the ice off the horse trough that's how <laughs> cold it was and these guys I mean in the sauna it is great and it and and it is one of our your best recovery methods, I think, that you can do. 
Blood work is a common analysis in the regime of elite athletes. It quantifies many dimensions and metrics of an athlete's physiology and helps one to see windows of potential performance improvement. Today's episode is also sponsored by Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. The company uses a blood test and patented algorithm to analyze your body's physiological markers, providing you with a clear picture of what's going on inside of you. Inside Tracker then offers science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. In using Inside Tracker myself, it was truly fascinating to see the many metrics of my own physiology, looking at things like hormone levels, inflammation, blood oxygen-related metrics, and much more. If you are interested in an Inside Tracker analysis, for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. And to get that discount, head to insidetracker.com/justflysports. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the water, though. And it's funny because as as I've been talking to you, there's I think about all these in the whole world of coaching, there's all sorts of coaches doing different things. And so one of the coaches who's intrigued me a lot are that there's the Marinovich's or Marv Marinovich and his brother. And, you know, they did like the super cats a lot and where they're pushing down. And I asked you the question last time about slanted versus flat surface or whatnot. But they also did a lot of work in the water. And mm-hmm. it's just it's just interesting where I see like these things being used. And I would agree with you. I, I, I love the water. I just like the the natural compression, the weightlessness. When I was working with swim at Cal, I would on my recovery day, I would try to go swimming and do whatever strokes the usually volunteer assistant mm-hmm. taught me. <laughs> and uh, I, I was a horrible swimmer, relatively speaking, but it was fun. And I always felt so good. And uh, yeah, if you could do that every day, I, I would totally. Well, it was that. it was so nice at Cal when I was coaching there. Um, because Tony and I were just, you know, brothers. I mean, when I walked in and I saw the pool there the very first day, I'm like, ah, he does water recovery, you know? And and then it was like, this is, this is slam dunk. Um, you know, Tony's ability, even though some people may, may, um, and not thought he ever accomplished as much as you could at Cal, people don't realize how hard it is at Cal to begin with academically Cal is a challenge for more of a challenge than almost any of the school I've, I've seen, but you know, his use of water to help with these, 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 the women, because the men would, men were somewhere else um, was incredible. And so I was just so glad to see another coach using water. Um, and that was, that was 1984, you know, yeah, that I was at 84, 86 at Cal. Yeah. That's yeah. It's, it's definitely, I think, and especially hearing you talk about it too. And it was back in my first coaching years at Wilmington College. I had the a lot of times it was, and I wanted to get back to your um, kind of this the the tempo lifting and then the speed days. But it was Monday mm-hmm. tempo lift a lot of times. Tuesday was a, a speed, a, you know, just sprint short sprints, plyo stuff, jump stuff, and then Wednesday a lot of times was in the pool, especially once it got cold out because we didn't have indoor track. And I right. always think back to what made. That school had a lot of success, Wilmington did, in indoors historically without an indoor track. And I think some of it, I, a lot of it, was one, just an overcoming attitude and mindset. But two, I do think they, they got in the pool more. <laughs> and I think that was really beneficial as I look back and I think about all the things of it that they had available. The pool is right there next to their training facilities. Oh, that's great. My, my, rule, my rule for the water, uh, particularly with, with Chen Yu, is if your feet touch the ground, the next place it goes is to water. You can substitute any training session in the water. I don't care because I know what the benefits are. And if you just think about it for a second, water is denser than air. And if you start moving and doing as high a speed um, 
sprinting as you can in water, you're training all your hip flexors at a level. I mean, you come out of the water mm-hmm. doing that next day, your hip flexors are a little fried. Mm-hmm. You know, they're like, they're not working as good as they did yesterday. Yeah. Cause you fatigued them. You work them better. There's almost no better way to do hip flexor work than to get in the water and shallow water to sprint, but you can do deep water. But it's nice to have a foot reflex back into the uh, hip flexion. So your psoas, rectus, they all get worked really, really hard in the water. And because water is denser too, when you move, you find the best pattern because you can't go like this in water. You, you're, eventually, you groove your movement pattern even better. Yeah, that was one thing that I learned, uh, particularly in my time at Cal as a strength coach for swimming, was I, I really enjoyed just learning more about swimming. Like I, yeah. and, and one of the things I remember hearing is like, you can't fight the water, meaning you can't almost hit the water with this predetermined, like, I'm going to enter it this way, and I'm going to overcome it. And you have to work with it to allow your body to find, like, there's so much working with the medium in it. And it's, yes. it's very yes. reactive. And, and the yeah. way you said that, it reminds me of of that learning and yeah i mean our our you know most of us in track and field learned interval training from swimming you know we learned energy systems from swimming you know um whether it was ernie mcglisto or people like norv or um oh, i just forgot the coaches at, at oregon and then of course doc councilman who most many of us learned from uh anyways so yeah, the water at I, my age. Yeah, yeah. I think about it like you know the the Chinese elements or the the air, water, wind, earth. Like just kind of like different different areas of the 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 sphere that we can learn from. It. The water has a lot to offer us. And no one. So the water. So the water for me serves for Sue the ability to let him do the density of training I want him to do and need him to do. That's that's what we're doing with him. So with that, yeah, and like that, it, it's interesting. So that would I mean imagine when you say you lay out a week, and it's like how can I recover enough? Like it's almost like you're laying out the recovery modalities to like first. to to first yes. to say, yeah, okay, how can I lay all this out to to let me do more stuff? And I, that's interesting. I've I mean I can say like I'm I'm 38 and I, I've kind of hit a little bit of a wall at about age 35 where it was like very like whoa like like everything kind of started going down and it was a really a couple really this past year where it's like okay I have to do and I think we sometimes get caught in this mindset of like just the explosive stuff. Like it's like it's everything mm-hmm. centers around that so hard. But I found that I got a lot better result if I planned out all these like small like remedial exercises just to build my capacity. And then I get to do some some heavy neural stuff here. And I get to do some heavy neural stuff there because I was doing more of all the other work. Yeah. I mean, as you get older, the weight room's your best friend. And then recovery is your, your, your next best friend. The other work you do, I mean, this may sound uh, glib, but the other work you do, you could almost do it in any way, and you're probably still going to get great results. I know that sounds stupid to say, um, but if you if you plan your recovery, you plan your weight training appropriately, you could almost mix and match your speed endurance, your speed, and other things, and still, as long as you're recovering, there's there's no such thing in my mind as overtraining. There's just under recovering. Hmm. I've said that for a long, long time, but particularly the distance people, you know, look, it's, you're, you're a sick puppy doing this. You just are, your body is sick. Um, which is why you have to be careful as distance runner or distance anything because you're beating the hell out of your body. Hmm. And then you got to give it a chance to recover. Uh, and, 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 
if you don't, you just, you're going to eventually you're going to break down. It's not if it's when, you know, and I think that by focusing on recovery first, you're able to then identify exactly how much volume and how much work and intensity you can put together to uh, allow them to then recover for the next session. Yeah, I, I like that. It's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a good, just, it's very easy to talk about like these, these high powered training setups. Like, like here's oh, this here's really this, easy. Yeah. yeah here's <laughs> like this comp training complex that's going to get you great results. And I've done all those. Like, and, and it being in the back end of my 30s, it's like, it's like, uh, I can do all those. And, but it's how am I going to feel the next day, a couple of days after? And right. that's way more important for me now than, I mean, my, my, power stuff is a lot of times a lot simpler than it used to be unless i'm just exploring and having fun with things and trying to create things but uh it's yeah it, it doesn't sprinting really fast is not i mean we're 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 running at age you know one and change you know in terms of uh even just kids like it's something we're, yeah. we do well you know my my mantra has always been when in doubt rest yeah. not work don't don't push forward rest step back and, 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 and as soon as you start to understand that rest is when you grow, work is not when you grow. You only grow when you start resting. That's when the body takes the stress that you put it under and makes the changes that you need to adjust to that or adapt to that stress next time. Then you realize how important recovery is. Would you, and then you, you do it. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Henry. I, I just my, um, my mind keeps wanting to interject all these thoughts because I, yeah. I got interesting topic. I'm this one of those questions that could go on a long time but the <laughs> i was gonna ask so maybe this could have two parts to it this question but where with recovery like would you what's the spectrum of recovery to you in the sense of like tempo to you is tempo recovery as long as it's you know in the right heart rate and moxie or is that do you would you be out in the middle and then water is like recovery like what's that spectrum of like okay this is just really pure recovery work and then this might be a little more training um, deep deep water is pure recovery work to me Nutrition, the right nutritional supplements is recovery work to me. Massage is recovery work. Sauna is recovery work. Sleep is recovery, the main part of recovery. Cycling, if you're not a cyclist, is recovery work. <laughs> um, tempo is still work. Is it recovery? It, 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 it definitely can enhance. There's no doubt. But I wouldn't make a steady diet out of it because, quite frankly, the human body can't handle continuing to do that they're going to break down eventually there's only so much gravity-based training you can take and so your, your goal is to find a way to get enough gravity stress and then back away from the gravity stress and then add the gravity stress again and then getting back away and recovery from the gravity stress and if you keep adding gravity stress um, eventually you'll break down if it's too much or too intense uh, with kids you certainly can do a little bit more of it because you are trying to get some of the uh, uh, tenderness adaptations and things like that. And you may have to do that with collegiate kids because they may not have it from their high school programs. You know, it's hard to say. We don't have the same quality um, elasticity fascial groups that we used to have, um, I think, in the past, which means they're more subject to injury than they used to be. But I'd have to talk to a college coach to know that for sure. Um, but from what I'm seeing, that seems to be the case. That's why in China, 
these kids are doing high volume work when they're young. The problem is they keep that same system mm -hmm. and apply it to the elites, which, you know, we all know that just doesn't work and don't do and the, and the opposite definitely doesn't work. Don't, don't take an elite system and apply it to a youth. So um, this is something the Chinese have learned. I think the, it happens a lot in the age group track in the U S where they see workouts that elites are doing and they apply it to kids. Um, and then the kids burn out and they leave the sport before they're, they hit their peak. You know? Yeah, for sure. It's easy. I think people, it's easy for coaches to get confused when they only work with one age group and it's like high schoolers and lots of roads can lead to some success on that level, even in yeah. the overtraining road. But then what's going to, how is, how are they going to be helped at the next level and beyond that if they choose to go there? Right, right. And, and I made a habit earlier in my career to leave the elites for a while and go back to middle school or high school. Yeah. And, and just observe and watch and try to help and see what was going on because the, you, can, you can forget the fundamentals real easy. Mm. It doesn't take long because you're working with these horses that are just incredible specimens of athletes and you forget that they may not have the fundamentals. So most of us at the elite level go back to the fundamentals at some point um, or, or should go back to the fundamentals at some point. I love the, you've said it, I think either the last one, podcast or the very first one we did, but going back to coach middle school. And I just think that's, I just think that's so, so critical. Like no matter where you are, or even just if it's just finding a way to volunteer with youth sports or something like just mm -hmm. work with youth, it's just so you can experience that spectrum. Cause it's so easy to get stuck in kind of that, that one, that one place. Well, and, and as elite coaches, we oftentimes get asked questions and quite frankly, mm -hmm. if you're not down in that trench with them, you can give them a lot of wrong answers. Yeah. It's real easy to give wrong answers to middle school and, and, and high school coaches. And when I usually lecture, I'll, and not knowing what the mix of the group may be, I'll ask, are there any middle school coaches in here? And if there are, I say, please stand up. And I'll, and I'll tell people, these are the most important people in this room. Because what they do is what determines what we do with the elite, with the elite athletes. If they miss the boat here, then we got to make up for it later on. And when, when, when someone is out of college, they need to make money and they have the financial pressures. You don't have a lot of time to go backwards to make up for the things they didn't get in junior high and high school or club. Yeah. Getting good. Like it's, it's almost like if you think of what would be the biggest benefit to the world of coaching, it's not actually more like elite level coaches who really know how to train people. It's just getting better coaches in the middle school and especially high school spots. I, I think to believe that without I mean, a I, doubt, without I, a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I love, I love talking training nuances. <laughs> like I, I could talk about it all day, but at the end of the day, it's like, man, if we could just get, you know, just, just more good coaches in on the, those young levels who really want to learn and give the kids what's in their best interests and not just what they did or, not, you know, um, man, you know, as an elite coach, if you want to call me that, um, I don't use that, that name myself, but one of the things that you, you realize after a while, and then this may sound kind of negative and it's not meant to, it's just that after you've done it over and over and over again, you sort of lose a little bit of the spark in doing it. And when you, you can refresh that spark by going back down to middle school and high school. And the kids are so appreciative. They're fun. They're just, you know, 
there's not a lot of appreciation shown in elite sports anymore. I mean, it's kind of people just, it, it, it's such a tough thing that there's just not much time for appreciation. Um, a, a thank you, like, thank you, coach, or a parent bringing you a sandwich or, you know, I mean, this stuff, this goes a long way. People think we do this for money. You know, a lot of times we just do it because it's just nice to be told, hey, thanks. Yeah. We really appreciate what you're doing for us, for my child. I have a letter here someplace um, when I coached middle school in Eugene years and years ago. And um, Monroe Junior High, we won the district championships that year. And there was a kid on the team who was a total spaz. His nickname was Spaz. And he ended up winning the conference title of 400 meters. And his mom wrote me a letter that was one of the sweetest things I've ever read on how this thing changed her child's life, mm. you know? And that's the kind of impact that you really like to have. You're really hoping to deal with the human side of the individual as well. When you coach in a different country, in a different culture, in a different language, you don't get to do much of that. It's pretty hard to do. So you can't get in their heads. You can't understand their heads, not get into them. You can't understand them. That's a little bit of a tangent. Sorry, we just went off there for a moment, but um, back on task now. Yeah, no, that's that's a good tangent, man. I mean, that's just something I think about as I get older and older. You know, and, and that was one of the things that I've just since I've been fully in the private sector, I've just I've really been appreciating being able to work with a diverse group, and I I really am excited to hopefully be to get really get into. I, I worked with high school track a little bit last year, but I, I really want to get into that more and more. And just hearing you talk about it, I mean that really confirms for me um, that direction as, uh, you know, it's like I've worked with college before and I've had opportunity to work with young club uh, athletes and just that, uh, but that, that critical time period, it's something I'm excited about. So that story is certainly motivating and inspiring for me, but yeah, I know we're, we'll, we'll stay on the training, uh, the training. Topic. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So here's we some, can, go ahead. Oh yeah. So I was going to say, so here's some back to the nuanced weekly training format. Uh, well, I wanted to ask you, this as the, um, so, so you have the lifting, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's so many ways to do it. Right. But like with lifting and tempo or slower sprinting on one day, those are kind of like slower entities. And then do you typically, when you do speed work, is that it? Like, is it its own thing? Like when you're doing true speed do. work? I'm, I put one thing on my plate at a time. Other people do more. And, and I, and I know that, that, that there's, uh, there's certainly the use of circuits after some of that to help with recovery and whatnot, but I have not, I really have not adapted that. Sometimes I think I'm dumb not to. Um, I, I do treat each thing as an individual entity. If we're doing speed, we're doing speed. If we're doing acceleration, we're doing acceleration. Um, and, and, and when we're done, we're done. Then we go rest and we come back in the afternoon for their, uh, morning or afternoon depending for their next session so gotcha cool yeah it makes me think about and that's what i've been thinking about a lot is in young i think as a young coach uh or particularly my younger years and i think this peaked in my late 20s early 30s it's just looking at my workouts and be like man there is so many different things in this workout and i read and reread this book this no one knows who actually wrote it someone called it the greatest sports training book ever but it's i i don't so people have some some theories who wrote it but 
the author uh he would basically like you're only doing two like you can't do more than two like themes in a session sometimes they'd only do one like in a, tra- in a training unit yeah yeah in, in yeah. Any, any given training unit and the sample workouts in the book were like insanely simple and i've i think if i've gone anywhere it's it's going after that much more and then maybe building maybe i do build around it like some general work and things like that just i mean if i had a second session i think that would be a good idea in the day to do that instead of cramming it all but if i have one i'll i'll sandwich it that way but i i've definitely become more attuned to that and i so yeah i find it interesting that where a lot of coaches would go all right speed then let's go in the weight room it's just speed like that's it like that's and some people have to do that just because that's the way their lives are it's just they have to make it happen um in my case i tend to do a training unit i um you know i think as a coach you know you see all the books behind me that that shelf right there is nothing but training books and that shelf right there is nothing but anatomy and physiology and training um theory you know I've got like eight shelves of books or more that are just deal with that. And, and so as a young coach, you're reading all this stuff, you know, and I've got about 14,000 articles in my computer here. You're reading all this stuff, but then you have to analyze that and synthesize it and create either a philosophy, if you wish, or programs. Um, and as you go on, you definitely simplify. You, it gets simpler and simpler. Uh, it doesn't mean that you leave things out. It just it means that you learn what works and what is fluff. And, you know, for instance, in China, there was a lot of fluff. They just, they were fluff, there's a lot of fluff. Like you need to get to doing those things that you, that are important and get rid of the fluff. So I think that as we get older, we get rid of the fluff and we get to the components in each training unit that are vital to improving the athlete. Randy, with Sue's training, you had said you had basically like two acceleration days and then two mm-hmm. days that were more top-end speed or evolved into top-end yeah, speed. Or speed, yeah. speed yeah, yeah, in nature. Uh, and the first podcast we did, you talked about athletes who were either like very, I guess you could call like muscular horsepower driven, like needed more rest or versus more mm-hmm. elastic types uh, for, for lack of better archetypes. I'll leave yeah, those. Sure. Uh, but would, I mean, I, it seems like Sue would fit into the more the muscular archetype would. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, if you look at him, he, if you look at him versus a Olympic weightlifter, they, they look very similar, you know, <laughs> in another life, maybe he could have done that, I guess. Uh, he, he probably could have because he comes from that area of China where most of the Olympic lifters are from. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I wanted to take a quick break from the show to tell you a little bit about our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com. SimplyFaster.com is a fantastic coaching resource, not only on the level of their blog and all the information they put out, but also on the level of their online store. With the click of a button, you can see and purchase the technology that is utilized by so many of the world's great coaches. In SimplyFaster.com's online store, you can have access to training technology such as blood flow restriction training, timing systems, including the free lap timing system bar speed tracking devices, a variety of resistance training machines, such as the K-Box, and also Kaiser training units, which Kaiser training units being strongly recommended by sprint coach Randy Huntington, for example. You'll also get access to motorized sprint training units, such as the 1080 Sprint, force plates, and much more. You can check that all out by heading to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. Let's get back to the show. What, uh, 
so so let's say you had a athlete who is very polar opposite of a, a Subing John, like someone who is a little more sinewy, more more elastic in nature, maybe doesn't have quite the horsepower. Um, how what are some levers you're going to pull on that week, that type of training week, that in, in light of that? Well, in 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 that particular case, um, you would you want to, certainly you want to maintain their strength. So if they're elastic, you want to make sure that you maintain their elasticity and don't destroy it. Um, you, you can destroy elasticity pretty easily by overtraining them. Um, like uh, I, I, the biggest example I might take is a, a long-legged kid, somebody who's got really big levers versus who's got really short levers. A long-legged kid, you know. Most of his experiences and most of his improvements, I'm sorry, will become will be happening in the weight room because he just cannot generate the same kind of power with the lever system he has. Um, and he, if he needs to get stronger and more powerful in order to do that. So we may move his emphasis to more of the weight room and his acceleration then uh, will still do it. But the emphasis on him will be. It's not much different than Sue because they have to do the same damn thing. They just don't do it as fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you have to move through a greater range of motion because your lever length, that's what happens. It's the reason Sue's one is is now the best starter in history. Um, I would definitely look. I always look at hip mobility, hip strength, and uh, glute function, glute strength, because that's what's going to produce the forces that you're going to end up with outside of gravity, of course. And then with a a kid like that, they usually have bigger feet. So that means their calves are probably not functioning as well. So then we have to start looking at their calf strength too. So it's not dissimilar from Sue. It's just, you may spend more time at it, trying to make it, make the change because the changes may not come as quickly because you've got shorter muscles, you've got longer muscles. Um, and if you get in that weight room, it's going to take some time for that kid to get strong, you know, uh, like even, even I've got one, one young athlete, uh, Wu and Wu is only an inch taller than Sue, but his leg length is five centimeters longer. Hmm. And that changes everything. Yeah. It changes everything for him. You know, his race model changes a little bit. How long, you know, he's not going to be able to have the same sense of starting. But then he's going to be able to come up into he'd be able to push his um, acceleration farther down the track, uh, and that's a good thing. So, I'm, I don't change the exercises as much, but I do look at the volumes they're doing, and I add more exercises for those people. So I'll add more smaller sets, more exercises in the weight room for specific muscle groups or specific movement groups, if you wish, uh, so that I make sure that they can, they can handle what they're going to be asked to do out on the track. Got it. So it's not, uh, so much like the superstructure of, of you're doing this, this day, you're doing this, that day. It's more like, Hey, you need more emphasis on the emphasis on this in this training day type. Yeah. If I had two or three athletes, I could probably do that, Mm -hmm. but I don't. Yeah. But I mean, I don't have a lot, but I have enough where, you know, I can, I, I, I rotate the week like this. So I have the sprinters going one day and then the jumpers going the next so that the jumpers actually end on Sunday and the sprinters end on Saturday. So their weeks are just separated by a day. Um, I also tend to put the jumpers on a nine day cycle. The sprinters on a seven day cycle and 800 meters is on a 10 day cycle. 
So it's not actually on a 10 day cycle. It's on a seven, seven, 10, 10, five uh, cycle. So um, that way I can get most of their training done without interfering with each other. And it can be specific to them. And sometimes I'll move a long jumper over to the sprint group. Hmm. Okay. You're going to do this with them today because you need to, you know? Yeah. I found that that how you describe that somewhat similar in some ways to some of the swim groups that I worked with. It would be like, hey, you're going to go, you know, you, there's like the, the sprint group and the middle distance group and the distance group. And sometimes the sprinters are, and middle distance would interchange days. And there's almost like a new, like a novelty nuance to that too. Like that's really powerful that a lot of coaching structures, I think, take for granted. Or we don't think about that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a long jumper that probably should be on the, the Chinese four by one. <laughs> But he's not, you know, um, but, but, but he can go train with them and they know he's fast. So when he's out there, they up their game. So if I want them to up their game, I bring him into the workout, you know, and, and this year, um, if I want them to up their game in their aerobic training, if they're in this, in this fall season, I'll bring Chun Yu, the woman onto mm. the track because yeah, they cannot get beat by her. <laughs> it's not, they cannot, that cannot happen, you know? Um, so you, you use these different tools, if you wish to, uh, gain a response that you want out of the other athletes. Yeah. That, that chess game goes well. I mean, it's just interesting once you've been in coaching situations where it's not just the workouts, it's, Hey, if we put this person here, it's going to have this impact on them psychologically as well. This group dynamic will be impacted. And that's like that. I mean, this is like, I, I talk a lot about things we don't learn in school, which is probably about. I don't know, 90% of the information on this podcast at some level. Um, but it, it like to really zoom out, once you really get out there, it's like that those, I feel like that's like some of the later grand lessons is, okay, now we're getting outside of training and just dynamics of groups and putting this person here with this group and how will this change this energy and that and how will it change them emotionally? And that was a lot. Yeah, I learned a lot of that from swimming and I'm yeah, like, I mean, like Chen Yu, I'm going to put her in with the boys, uh, the men, in the weight room because she's never lifted with the men. And now that's going to up her game hmm. because she did not like to get beat. I mean, she's really sweet, really nice, but she hates losing, <laughs> you know. And uh, so she will compete with the men. No, she's not going to be anywhere near as strong, but she's going to go in and give a better percentage effort than she would have before because now she sees oh people can do this you know and it's sometimes often difficult for middle distance and distance people to understand that the intensity of their weight room work can be just as heavy and just as hard as the intensity of a sprinters because we design our weight room so that you don't gain size Mm. we don't want to be bigger we just want the opposite we want to get really strong and powerful and not gain a pound and what you can do you know yeah yeah uh, that's that's really cool with that it's just it it's just more the more the more knobs you can uh, like the more dials you can turn and the more the ways you can help athletes to adapt in the situational element is that's like it's a very human level thing and uh yeah. it's yeah. it's really enjoyable to get into the specifics of that okay next question because i know you're gonna you're gonna run out of time here again i i am but that's okay uh, all right well it kind of fits with this a little bit because you mentioned it uh you mentioned the fall so i was going to ask you a little yeah. bit about seasonal stuff so um in terms of fall like just major shifts fall training winter training competition like what are some principles or thoughts you you look at with the long term 
Well, the, the fall training is, you know, the normal fall training, which I still have never had a normal fall in China. Like right now they're training. I'm not there. I'm here in the U.S. Last year they were there, but I had no medical support. Um, you know, or the, or the year before we were together, but we didn't have any facilities. <laughs> I mean, the right facility. So we've never had a fall that would be doing what I want or need to do to optimize their abilities. And that's what this is about when you start talking the 100. I mean, now with Sue running 983, my goal is to get him to 982, you know, and 981. It's not to get him to 970. It's, you know, we're, we're now working at 100th of a time at a time. And, and, um, and this particular fall, and in my fall sessions, I tend to make them more volume-based, um, more drill-based, uh, still a lot of recovery. We do go in the pool and do training in the pool. Um, the weight room becomes more important because this is where we've got to get their bodies ready so that their um, uh, potential for injury is is reduced, which is the first reason for going in the weight room anyways. I mean, if you're going in the weight room only to think performance, you've missed out on the real key. And the key is reduce the potential for injury. Uh, and then then we'll, we'll look at the performance side after that. So at, at this time... Um, they're uh, they're doing a couple right now. They're still in a similar situation. They're doing a couple acceleration days, but they're really easy. They're not. We're not in blocks yet. We're not in spikes. You know, we're doing uh, some one fifties, and then another day we're doing two hundreds separated. Uh, so we're just trying to get their bodies kind of back into the feeling that we got to train again because they took a long time off this year after COVID, then the Olympics, and then. Um, they had the national games in China. So we had to, we, we didn't finish until the end of September with another primary competition, like the Olympics again. You know, we had two Olympics this year. And next year, we're going to have world championships and Asian games. We have two major championships again. So um, in the US, it'd be like the US championships and world championships, similar, or European championships and world championships. Um, so for us, and, and then, then come into the winter, then we'll put the spikes on, start spiking it up. And the pattern in the week stays the same, but the volume gets reduced a little bit uh, in certain areas. And, you know, I have to play with that. Uh, never quite sure which, which volume is going to be exactly right for each athlete, but it will change for them. And you change it daily while you're sitting there. You're, it's biological, you know, it's never... The plan is not meant to be set in stone. And I, I've said this before. I think you've heard me say it, that as you get older as a coach and as you've done more and more of this and your library has all that stuff in it, you are dealing more and more in the unknown. And you're dealing more and more in more variables than you, than you can control. And so as you go farther and farther and deeper and deeper into elite coaching, coaching in general, you create more and more doubt about what you're doing. There's more doubt, not less doubt. Like, hmm, did I do that right? <laughs> you know, you, you, cause, because you're looking and analyzing and realizing, wow, there's so much more here we could be doing and we're not doing it. How do we fit it in? When can we do it? Which is one of the reasons why I go to nine day cycles, you know, sometimes. So hmm. we can fit in everything I want to fit in if they need it, if it's needed. 
Yeah. And I normally to go back real quick. I normally start out the fall with four, nine or four, 10 day cycles, mm-hmm. 40 days. They're in that cycle. So I make sure I don't hurt them. Just the whole key is don't get them hurt in the fall. <coughs> with the cycles, it's, I mean, I've, I've, I've never taken on the 10 day cycle thing. And I, I don't know why I, not that I don't believe in it at all for I, maybe it's just to keep myself sane with the, you know like more things simple if that makes sense like okay here's yeah. here's one more thing i can at least keep in my general structure but the more i understand about why the more likely i am to be like okay like this maybe let's here's something that we can look at and maybe i think of what you're saying tell me if you agree with this but you talk about last podcast like let's do two sled reps if we do a third with the same weight that um, that can be too difficult for the nervous system. So maybe we just go two and a drop, two and a drop. And you said, mm-hmm. if you want to push the nervous system, maybe we'll do three or three or four or something like that. Would it be, uh, maybe I, I'm trying to relate it to why extend a, a, a typical. Uh, like, you you yeah. only extend for recovery. Oh, got it. To get more. Recovery. It's all about recovery. Got yeah. It. Yeah. The extension is about allowing yourself to have enough recovery. Um, from the stress that you just apply to them so that they're ready for the next one. Oftentimes in seven days, you're, you're, you're creating density, but you're not, um, you're, you're, you're not giving enough, enough time to recover. So you open that up. So as I'll take it through the year, I have less dense and then I'll slowly, as they adapt, I'll oh, increase it. the density. And then when you want to peak, you decrease the density again. And so you start thinking more density than you do intensity or volume. And of course, they're all related, but um, the density of training becomes that word that we don't use often enough in, in our training uh, talking. Yeah, it's really like, it, like I said, I, it's like, here's the thing that could confuse me, but the way you put it, it's so simple. Like, it's just, it's just a density. Uh, so you could even, I mean, would it be like maybe in the 10 day cycle, you have the same amount of intense workouts as a a seven that's harder Mm -hmm. but you just have more rest days or easy days or tempo days. exactly exactly you you easily could you could also put in another day you know you could have it so that it has because it then it allows you with 10 days with seven you've got seven days to work with which means your recovery days really are only two maybe three sorry full rest day on sunday but with 10 days now you may be able to put in four and which means that your intensity can go even higher and your volume can go a little bit higher if you need to, because you have more time to rest. Yeah. And uh, I just, I think a nine and 10 day cycle is probably the optimum for a sprinter uh, when you look, when you really look at it. But in our society, it's hard to do anything outside of a seven day week because mm-hmm. that's how we're programmed. You know, um, Chun Yu does not, like I said, Chun Yu does a seven day, a nine day or a seven day, 10 day, 10 day, five day. Or a seven day, nine day, nine day, five day, because the five day is a full recovery cycle. It's, I don't need a whole week for that, but she's still working during there. But she's got five days. Three of those are recovery days, and two are hard hard training days. So there's still stimulus, but not uh, so much that you you ruin them. You know. Yeah. Do you with those ten days? I mean, the one thing I, how do you manage that in light of? I guess like I've always thought of like okay. I, I train or have a lot of Saturday training in my cycles, but mm-hmm. Sunday is almost always off. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. and that's just like a mental thing too, I think for people. Like, so in a 10 day, like 
I mean, I guess like it's going to just kind of keep rolling through those. Do, I mean, do the weekdays kind of not exist anymore in, in that sense? It's like day one, day two, day three. And yeah, they, they, they go away. And this is why nine days for some people works because you do a rolling three day. And then that's easy to figure out a rolling three day cycle. So you're doing three days, three days, three days. It's nine. You know, it's easy. Then your next one would be 12. You do a rolling three day cycle four times. Um, and, and, and a three day cycles tend to be your easiest cycles to figure out. So rather than trying to, you know, figure out what to do seven, you just do three and then you just repeat the three. Yeah. So, in a, in a, you know, it makes it kind of easy. So you got acceleration, weight training, um, speed, and then acceleration, weight training, you know, or recovery. Mm-hmm. It, you, you just, now you can fit in your recovery days to recover from the three days. Yeah. That makes sense. That's if I ever go beyond the seven, which I probably will now, the nine, I'm going to do the nine because I do, I do a lot of three days. Yeah. yeah. I do a lot of three day type stuff. So yeah. that'll fit in pretty easily. Yeah. It, it, it works really well. Three days, three day rolling three days are pretty easy to program. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so in the course of a training year, Randy, uh, and, and putting in like the, I've in the book, Easy Strength by Dan John and Pavel Satsley, and they talk about like, uh, saving your ace cards or or like when in the year are you going to put and i think about this a lot like when in the year am i going to put in those like more intense more stimulating training methods uh you said or, like they'll go into spikes in winter which you know that's a, a step up um in terms of, like kaiser machine work um like depth jumps uh, I, I know we'll talk about overspeed how you utilize it uh, how do you manage the the bigger players in the training year of the athlete well Typically, you're doing all those things all year round anyways. And all you're doing is varying the volume during the course of the year. Um, so you're, you never leave speed. You never leave acceleration. You, don't, you never leave strength, max strength. And you certainly never leave power. So during the course of any cycle, you're doing those all the time anyway. Mind you, the first four cycles, you might not be doing it in spikes and as intense. but when you once you spike up, you're basically uh, in in a similar pattern, just varying the intensities. You know, a three week, one week down, three week, one week down, four week cycle, or a four, <coughs> or a five nine nine. I mean, a seven nine nine five or whatever. So that you're now keeping all the components that you need to train still in. You're just varying the volume and intensity of those components throughout each one of those cycles, microcycles, if you wish. Um, during the course of your mesocycle all year round. Then when it comes time to peak, now you start letting, now you start pulling stuff away and, and peaking is an art there, there, there's some science to it. I mean, my Omega wave shows me when people's, I use my Omega wave to show me when their neural systems are back on. So when their DC numbers are way, way up, um, and once I see that now the middle distance runners, I also look at their, their CV system to make sure that they're, they're ready. And I've done it for 20 years with it. So I've got a good idea what's going on, but um, without having, without having that Omega wave, and I need to go back to this for a second, the Omega wave or now the aura ring or, and any number of the other ones out there that are doing HRV without having that, you really don't know what you're doing to the athlete. It's just good guessing. Like you said, three minutes, two minutes, one minute, you know, yeah. Um, 
But when you have the Moxie or the Human or you're using the Omega Wave, you're seeing exactly, as exactly as you can be, can get, what you're doing to them. And then you know how much you need to recover them. And I think that without having that ability to view recovery, I don't know what you're doing. I mean, I don't know how. It, the first time I sat down with uh, Val and the Seedkin and talked about Omega Wave sitting in a little restaurant in Seattle in 2000, you know, he said, because because you heard me say it's work plus rest equals adaptation. I'm looking, I'm going, you mean that I can measure my adaptation now? And he goes, well, yeah, game over. Okay. Now I know what I can do. Now I know how much work. Now I know I can play with my two variables and I can measure the adaptation. I mean, otherwise your adaptation is you're guessing that they're getting better and hoping that they're getting better. And, you know, I mean, quite frankly, human bodies, you can push it pretty hard and it's going to get better. But we're trying to win gold medals, set world records and national records and things. And it's, it's a different game. Yeah, I feel like with, um, actually, for me, I haven't had much experience at all with Omega Wave. So I consider myself a bit of a, I don't know if you want to call it professional guesser, but I, I definitely understand that. Like, you, oh. it's a guess. And I've thought of it this way sometimes with if you're in that route where you don't and I, the thing is I have a moxie actually I need to use it more I the computer that I got to work with it because I have a Mac and it's PC the computer is like doesn't doesn't work for all anyways not not important have you got by the way have you got the shorts now oh uh, exogen shorts or the moxie shorts no the moxie shorts oh I do not oh you need to have the moxie shorts ah uh, yeah if you're going to use the moxie put the moxie shorts on ah uh, got it yeah it, it change it's going to change the readings, that's going to change the readings. It's going to change how you're going to be able to use it. Yeah. Yeah. And noted for sure. Um, but I was going to say within like the realm of guessing, it's, it's, I feel like you always will find where the athlete is once you get into the meat and the potatoes of the workout. But by then the question is, is it too late? Because you're, if you're doing speed on the day and you're trying to hit your, I don't know, you're doing like four sixties and they're fast and they run the first two and they're, they're crap. And that now the athlete is like, a little depressed about it probably and you're not going to get a great adaptation so it's like well if i can find a way to figure this out before <laughs> that's the that's what i need to do and I, right, yeah are they ready yeah are they ready to do that workout you know do you know i mean i i'll look at uh, chan Yu's here in a little bit because i've got to write her workouts um and look at how she um reacted on her omega wave over the last uh nine days and see where she wasn't reacting well and change those workouts a little bit. It's, it's the beauty of it is it is periodization, but it's not periodization on paper. It's periodization applied to each individual because yeah. now you're looking at their ability to adapt and periodization is nothing more than writing stuff to show you or to, to track adaptation. Yeah. It's yeah. To be able to record that, I think for me, um, my personality is very much just how I'm kind of wired is very much off the hip. It, feel it out intuitively, know how it went. Um, I, you know, I, I do get a little bit into it when it comes to program writing, but maybe part of it too is I haven't had access to that type of thing. It's always trying to almost figure out how to work around it, if that makes sense. If you don't, uh, I mean, well, that's why I have or, such high hopes for the aura ring. 
Yeah. You know, and that because it's simple, you know, you can put it on and mine's on right there. You can put it on and you can get this feedback without there having to put a belt on and measure in the morning, wake up, da, da, da. It's doing it automatically. I'm hoping that because of that, it more, more athletes will then come back to doing HRV analysis because I think it tells us a lot we need to know. Yeah. Yeah. The definitely the the art of monitoring somewhere that I definitely need to improve in as yeah, well. Get easy. more well yeah. well the art of rest need to get more well versed. Uh, the art no, it's it's the art of adaptation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With the it's not. Yeah. It's the art of adaptation is what it is, and you don't have to make it an art. You can get more scientific with. If you want to get scientific with anything, get scientific with adaptation. Get scientific with understanding parasympathetic sympathetic balance. Just learn that and find a way to monitor it. And you're probably going to be better than 98% of everybody doing it, you know, because that is the game. Parasympathetic, sympathetic balance. Where is it? If it's off, you're breaking them down. If it's on, they're recovering. Yeah, I love it. It's yeah. really crucial stuff. And yeah, I'll definitely be I'll, that that little segment there. I'll definitely be considering and thinking about <laughs> for some time. Uh, I, we're getting towards the end. Actually, we've made it through a bunch yeah. of questions, and I did want to ask one last one that's probably not entirely related to periodization, uh, but I did mention it was overspeed training. Uh, we talked oh. a lot about resisted training last time, so it'll be interesting to explore the other side of the coin briefly. What's your thoughts and how you apply uh, what we would call overspeed type training to your well, sprinters? You know, a lot of us did overspeed training with the pulley systems back in the in the eighties, and some people experimented with cars and being pulled and towed. And um, I don't do overspeed training. I just tell you flat out, I don't do it. I do assisted speed training because when you get to overspeed training, you tend to yank them out of their tech, their 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 relaxation model, and you know you're. You can, in, instead of doing overspeed, you put them right on the edge with assisted speed. They're still relaxed. And then you have to pick out what you want them to actually work on in the assisted speed. Is it ground contact? Is it forced to the ground? I still see assisted speed as a technical session. And you don't do very many of them. Three, maybe. You know, I don't go much beyond that. Um, we, uh, for instance, with the, uh, um, 1080. So with the 1080, we'll look at the pulling force. We use about six or seven kg for pulling force, but then we look also at the resistance of the foot when it hits the ground. And typically, if we're over 40, then that means we're going too fast, or they're not technically running well. So we'll look at the video and say, okay, here's what I want you to emphasize. We'll drop it down a tenth of a meter per second, and then come back up and let them try to fit this and get that number under 40. Uh, I, I think it's Newton's. Um, so that they're not blocking, basically not blocking on the ground. And then we, then we go back up and we start pushing them up again. So I, if you're going over speed and you're blocking, it means you have a positive foot plant for lack of a better way of putting it, then you're doing it wrong. You've got to get it so that they're neutral or that is under 40 or 35. You can play with that number. Um, and that means that they're applying force backward and downward or down onto the ground, if you wish. And they're doing it fast enough so that they don't block uh, and create uh, negative forces uh, at ground contact. So uh, assist uh, overspeed, always blocking. 
Um, I've never seen anybody do it not blocking. Um, so that's why that key measurement becomes key. The, the the thing you look at. What is where am I in my in in the ability to apply force to the ground without blocking, uh, without creating blocking forces. It's it's interesting thinking about that. Almost makes you think of the nature of someone's quote unquote speed limit in some ways. Mm-hmm. Is why don't you run faster than what you do? <laughs> You're trying to push their speed limit, yeah. and their speed limit is ground contact time, stride frequency, stride length. So if they overstride, they block. If they uh, their frequency is too high, they may not block, but they don't get any stride length. Mm-hmm. So you're looking for that magic number, and they have to be able to do that relaxed. Yeah. When, by relaxed, I don't mean like uh, you know jellyfish, but they have to be able to relax in the neural movement patterns in order to achieve that. And we look for that. And um, I think the highest I've taken anybody, well, in the beginning, because I was playing with it, I took someone to 12-2, 12-3, which is way too fast. Um, <laughs> but most of the time, like with Sue, we're sitting around 11-3, I'll, I'll look at uh, average velocity from 40 meters to 100 meters in their races. And then I'll, I'll start somewhere near that. So around 40, they're, they're already hit, get close to max velocity. <clears throat> so I will then take the average velocity from there to there because you can't use peak velocity or you're going to kill them. They're just not going to happen. So I'll use average velocity in this particular situation. And, and then I'll, that, that's where I'll start my assisted speed. Somewhere below that or above it just depends on the day. Um, and and that's usually hard enough. Eleven three, eleven four. I think with Sue, most of the time we start at like ten six, ten point six meters per second, and we move up to eleven six through the course of the the session. We usually go up in three two tenths or three tenths increments, and looking for the in a, the the drop in the ability to create forces that are downward and backward or down onto the ground. Hmm. Yeah, I, what I was kind of going with what I said before is the idea of, uh, like, let's say you have someone at 98% of their max velocity getting towed and then, and you watch and the forces are still, they're downwards and backwards and they're not block they're not creating excess braking forces. And then you go 99 and then 100 and then 101, you know, and then like noticing when does the, the blocking or braking force become excessive? I, I just wonder what that would tell you from one athlete to another is what I'm saying. Like, is- Oh, no, it- it tells you exactly what you think it tells you. Yeah. It, it, it tells you what their limits are. Yeah. Yeah. It tells you what their technical limits are. It may not tell you what their physical limits are because they may not have learned yet how to relax or to, may not have appropriate uh, max velocity mechanics yet. You certainly don't want to do overspeed. We, we, I mean, if you look at, if you look at Sue's max velocity ability, so I think his max velocity ability is around 12.2. Meters per second, 12.1, 12.2 is the fastest he's ever gone. And we, we normally would be not 1%. We wouldn't be within 2% mm-hmm. of that most days doing assisted. Mm-hmm. Because if you go at 100%, your, 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 your chance of injury is just too oh, yeah. high. It's just too high. You know, especially, We can't afford that. Especially that stride frequency he has. It just it seems like you're really playing with fire. He's over five, and I and I, and I need to get him under five. And we we get there once in a while. But he was so excited in Tokyo <laughs> that you know there was no stopping that train. He was gone. 
So, but he learns. He learned what he did. And now next time, maybe he won't do it again. It's hard to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, good stuff today, Randy. I think we got through pretty <laughs> much most way more questions and, and just a lot <laughs> of really good things for me to think about. I, it makes me wish I had a pool right near me here. Um, I just a lot of really great uh, content and things that I'll be thinking of. And I appreciate you being on the show again. And, and, and two shows. Oh, thank in a you. Month. It's like, fun. It's, this is fantastic. Yeah. I get to speak English. I like yeah. it. Uh, and don't forget that that you know Linda Huey has the old hydrotone flotation belts which work really well in the pool and Aqua X I don't even know if they're still around anymore um used to be out of McMinnville area Linfield Oregon um they made a, a full body flotation suit that you used in the pool for mm-hmm. deep water uh so there's there's still tools for the water that uh, people can use and it can be a great advantage for them yeah yeah i'll definitely uh have to check that out and yeah yeah, yeah. definitely inspired to find a pool right here a little, okay. a little harder than being at cal but uh man yeah 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 i can imagine we cal can... had not only that pool but they had the little pool up at the administration building oh yeah yeah so okay well thanks joel i gotta run myself i've got to get to a, a another meeting here online and in in china of all things all right so Okay. Well, glad you could speak some English. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the show. Appreciate you all being here. If you enjoy this show, this series, what we're doing, you could really help us out by logging into your podcast listening platform of choice and shooting us a rating or review. I'd really appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week with another great guest.